can be seated. You can open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be this morning, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 specifically. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning of that chapter. So uh, you can find that 1 Corinthians uh, 14. Uh, I, I find it interesting, you don't come across these types of things really often, but I find it interesting whenever I uh, come across uh, a song about songs or a, maybe like a TV show about TV shows. Think like Murphy Brown back in the day, something like that, or a book about writing books, things like that. Uh, I find that interesting. It's, it's kind of this whole meta thing going on uh, when that happens, uh, books about books, uh, things of that sort. Uh, but in the Bible, we have something that is kind of like that, that, that I wanted to share as a precursor to what we're going to look at uh, today. And what we see in the tucked away in this book of Joel in the Old Testament is a prophecy about prophecy, a prophecy about prophecy. And uh, hundreds of years before Jesus ever would enter into our world, before he ever came to earth, uh, there was this prophet, there's many prophets, but there's one named Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, we have uh, a record of God speaking through Joel, but God even speaking in the first person about a time that was going to eventually come, a time that was going to arise and last and have this enduring uh, span of time where the Holy Spirit's work, where his work was going to expand significantly, where it was going to broaden, it was going to go to more and more people, he was going to be active with more and more people across uh, both genders, across all ages, across even social statuses, that, that he was going to be poured out in far greater measure, far more powerful ways. And in the midst of that prophecy in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, uh, God said this through Joel, and I want you to, to pay attention particularly to how there's prophecy embedded even in this prophecy that he was foretelling. So God, through the prophet Joel, said this and was anticipating this time of increased uh, spirit's work. He said, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. So this, this promise was given, this, this prophecy was given hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come into the world, before the fulfillment of this would ever come about. And it may have just stayed tucked away in the Old Testament, just kind of been a couple words on a page that we may read occasionally. But this text was spoken by the Apostle Peter at a very significant time. Uh, if you've grown up hearing about the Bible and the ministry of Jesus, you know this, but if not, I'll let you know, that after Jesus was crucified for our sins, after he was raised from the dead, and before he went back to heaven, before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to go take this good news to the nations, to make disciples of all nations. But Jesus told them to wait just a little bit before they did it. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would be given to them, until power would be given to them. And so they, they waited a bit of time there, and at this holiday called Pentecost, where tons of people were in Jerusalem, this actually happened, where in Acts chapter 2, you can read about it yourself, but the disciples are all together, they're praying, and then the Holy Spirit fills them, Luke records for us, the Holy Spirit fills them, and they start speaking in tongues, telling the wonders of God, the mighty works of God, and this crowd starts to gather around because they're intrigued. Luke says that they're bewildered, they're amazed, they're perplexed. And then finally, at long last, the apostle Peter speaks up. 
to this crowd. And I imagine them getting quiet. And one of the very first things that Peter says to them as they're all listening is he quotes Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and following. And he talks about how the Spirit was going to be poured out on all flesh and how sons and daughters are going to prophesy. And he continues on in quoting it. And so what Peter is communicating to them and what we know then in reading that text is that Joel 2 was coming to fruition. It was actually coming true at that moment that this new age, this new era was beginning right there at that holiday called Pentecost where the Spirit was poured out in increased measure, wider and stronger. And right in the middle of it, that what was anticipated and then what Peter is saying is coming true now, what, what is starting to become reality is this gift of prophecy. That, that the gift of prophecy even was to be given wider and given to more people to be used by the Spirit to benefit God's people. So it shouldn't surprise us then. If that's how the church age was starting, that's how the, the, at Pentecost there's this prophecy that's fulfilled about prophecy and how it's going to expand. It should not surprise us when we start reading letters like 1 Corinthians that are written to these churches that start to sprout up and that start uh, to begin and to worship and grow together, it shouldn't surprise us to see an apostle writing to them expecting and hoping that prophecy is going to be part of their ministry to one another. It had been anticipated for hundreds of years. Peter says it's becoming true now at Pentecost as Jesus has gone back into heaven. We see it written in these letters like 1 Corinthians, like we're going to even look at today. But what often happens in churches today, especially in Western churches and Reformed churches, is that we almost never even talk about prophecy. I grew up my whole life in church, and I don't, I don't think I could count on more than one hand how many times I even heard that word mentioned other than at Christmas time, like Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus. I never heard it talked about as being a gift that was supposed to be given today to believers and used with fellow believers today, but it, it's looming large. Uh, it's anticipated. It's promised, and then Peter is saying that it should be fulfilled, and so we don't have uh, the luxury, I don't think, of just staying quiet about it or ignoring it or just keeping it on the shelf and, and not talking about it. Prophecy is a gift that God had promised long before and that the apostles expected to be present in these churches. And so it would behoove us, I would say, to see what an apostle said to a church about the gift of prophecy, uh, how he describes it, how he says it's to be used, ways it's supposed to be used. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 14. It's the most clear text about this in all of the New Testament. So uh, th we're going to see here, starting in chapter 14, this is a continuation of what the Apostle Paul has been already saying in chapters 12 and 13. We've been going through those the last several weeks. We saw that in chapter 12, he started talking to this church about spiritual gifts, uh, saying uh, there's this range of gifts, that they're a body that functions together as Christians, that they need each other. In chapter 13, we saw that as he was continuing to talk about spiritual gifts, he was saying that they need to be used in love. That should be the motivation. That should be the manner in which these gifts are used, is that it should be, they should be used in love. And last Sunday, as we ended chapter 13, we saw that even in this very text, that there's this anticipation that these gifts, even prophecy and tongues and knowledge, these gifts were going to continue until the perfect time until Jesus came. So uh, that includes the church at Corinth, that Paul wanted them to keep practicing these gifts, and we would say that we believe this is for us even today, uh, to receive these gifts as the Spirit would give them and to use them the way that he calls us to use them. So uh, in chapter 14, 
And just so you know kind of where we're headed, uh, Paul kind of weaves together some instruction about two different gifts, prophecy and tongues. And he kind of weaves them together like a strand, like a rope, and, and just comparing them, contrasting them, and then gives more directions as he goes through the chapter. What we're going to do this Sunday and next Sunday is try to kind of peel those apart. And first, this Sunday, today, look at the gift of prophecy, how he describes it and what it was for. And then next Sunday, we'll talk about the gift of tongues. And then a two Sundays from now, we'll get towards the end of the chapter where he starts to give practical instruction about these things and hopefully paint more of a picture of how we anticipate, how we hope that if these gifts are given to us or already have been given to us, of ways that we could use them together in, in ways that honor and follow the, the word of God. And so today we're going to peel that strand, those strands apart and try to see what Paul said about this gift of prophecy that have been long anticipated. So I want to read for you uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5 uh, to start. And then next Sunday we'll dive way more into verses 6 and following. But mainly today we'll look at the first five verses here. Uh, from the Apostle Paul. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he recorded this uh, to this early church and then has been passed to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I think we see here, we're going to go through a couple headings. We already saw that prophecy was anticipated. Uh, but what I want to uh, start with next is to see that prophecy was preferred by the Apostle Paul. As he's comparing these two gifts of, of prophecy and tongues, he very clearly prefers when the church is gathered, he prefers the gift of prophecy to be used. So, And I would say it this way, that prophecy is preferred over tongues because it more readily builds up the church. Uh, so where do we see this here? So Paul, you, I think it's obvious, but at the risk of, uh, not, or not wanting to risk it, I'll show you here wh where it, we see that he preferred this gift. You see it right in verse 1. He says this broad statement, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, like all of them, earnestly desire them. But then he says, especially that you may prophesy. So there's this preference, this priority. Uh, even as he's commanding them to desire, he says you should especially want, you should especially desire this gift of prophecy in your church. And then in verse 5, as he's not just comparing prophecy to all the gifts, but comparing it to tongues, specifically in verse 5, he says, hey, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, which we'll talk more about that next week and what he means by that and doesn't. But then he continues that sentence and says, but even more to prophesy. So as he's even comparing these two gifts, he's saying, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but I want even more, that I wish even more that all of you would prophesy. So he obviously prefers this. He, he wants it as he's imagining their life together as a church. He longs even for that gift to be even more prominent. But the question, the simple question would be why? Especially as he's comparing it to tongues, why does he want prophecy to feature more prominently? Why does he prefer that? 
both of these gifts, tongues and prophecy, and we'll learn a lot more about tongues next Sunday, but both of them are spoken gifts, right? They're both verbal. They're both things that, that come out of people's mouths. Uh, they, they are spoken gifts, but there's significant differences that he notes even in these first five verses. A couple I would highlight. One would be the direction of the speech. Did you catch that? In verse 2, he says uh, that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks to God. So he's saying that tongues speaking is typically directed or maybe always directed towards God, at least initially. But he says in verse 3 that prophecy is spoken to people. So tongues are directed towards God. Prophecy is spoken to people. So the direction of the speech is different. But then even the nature of the speech is different. Verse 2, and I would classify this this way, is whether people naturally understand it or not. Uh, if you look at verse 2, he says that when people speak in tongues, uh, that no one understands him, and he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So as tongues are spoken, unless there's this gift of interpretation, other people, if they hear it, they're not going to even know what is being said. So that it's not going to make sense to them. It's going to be mysterious to them. But in verse 3, he says, implies at least, that when prophecy is spoken to people, they're going to understand it. That, that, they, that they're going to be upbuilt, they're going to be encouraged, they're going to be consoled, so they, they understand what is being said to them. It's spoken in a language that they know. It, it makes sense to them. And the last difference between these gifts is, is who the primary beneficiary of them is, right? Who benefits most from these gifts when they're used? So if you look at verse 4, he says that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up who? Builds up himself. Then he contrasts and says the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so that's as simple as a statement as you can be. The primary ones who benefit from speaking in tongues is the speaker. But the primary people who benefit from the gift of, and use of prophecy is the hearers. It's the people who hear this message that is shared. And so there's these differences between these gifts. But the most important thing in Paul's mind, you see it right at the end of verse 5, the most important thing in his mind and why he prefers prophecy to tongues is that it better builds up the church. That's the whole point of spiritual gifts is that they build up the congregation. They build up other believers. And he's saying if you uh, put prophecy and tongues next to one another, he's not belittling tongues. If anything, he upholds it. He says he wants them all to do it. He says later, I do that more than any of you. Those types. Of, he's not disparaging tongues but he's saying if i set them side by side and think about the nature of them prophecy is more easily more readily going to actually benefit other people it's going to actually edify people it's going to give encouragement to them it's going to build up the church and you see that the other place you see that in this chapter is down in verse 12 i'd encourage you to put your eyes there he says of this church he says since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church. That's the point of every spiritual gift, of any spiritual gift, is the building up of the church. And so Paul, as he's writing this church about these two gifts, which were probably the most controversial gifts in their church, uh, that's why he gives more airtime to them here. He's saying, as I compare them, I long even more, I prefer that you would prophesy, and I want you to desire that even more than you desire it to speak in tongues and to have those active in your life and the life of your church. So I wanted to start there as a foundation that Paul is clearly preferring the gift of prophecy. But the obvious question I think that's probably on many of our minds is, well, what is it? 
Like, okay, he obviously prefers it. He says that it's speech to people. Uh, that is probably obvious because uh, it can only be directed to God or to people. Uh, but what is prophecy? And so I wanted to, to, from this text, from this chapter even, and some of the later parts of it, give what I would uh, offer as a definition of prophecy as we see it here in the New Testament. So it's prophecy defined. I, w- I would define prophecy this way, and this is me borrowing terminology from a pastor named Sam Storms. Uh, he defined prophecy this way, and I think you'd see this demonstrated from this chapter. as He defined it as the human report of divine revelation. The human report of divine revelation. And where you see this in this chapter, we're going to jump ahead a little bit to a text we'll look at more in depth two Sundays from now. But if you can move your eyes down uh, to verses 29 to 32, or 29 to 33. Uh, Paul gives instructions here uh, from 26 and on about their actual gathering. Did you note that? In 26, he says, when you come together, And then he gives some directions about what to do when they come together. And in verse 27 and 28, he gives these instructions about tongues. And then in verse 29 and following, he gives some instructions about prophecies. And so I want to read those for you and note uh, the, the language of revelation that's in there and then prophecy as well and how those are related. So imagine this gathering. He says, let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. So you you can see as you look at that, there's clearly language of revelation. Something being revealed to a person that is sitting in this congregation. Uh, Something, there's language of the spirit revealing making known something to a person and so uh, i think sometimes we can misunderstand when we hear this term revelation because we often only think of scripture itself as revelation from god and we'll, we'll talk more about this and how prophecy compares with scripture but paul is clearly talking about something being revealed to the person and then when it's spoken to the church that's what he calls prophecy right that, that those are clearly tied in those verses. Something's revealed to the person by the Spirit, and then it's spoken, and that's what he calls prophecy. That's what he calls prophesying. But we don't really have a lot in Scripture that helps us understand exactly what the content of those revelations are. Uh, we, we just see it described here. as There's revelation that comes to a person that then is spoken as prophecy. I honestly wish, there's many things I wish about the Bible that God gave us more information about. This is one. But we, don't, we aren't told a lot about the content of what these revelations are going to contain or even about the mechanics of how they'll happen. Uh, we're, we don't have that described for us. It's just described as revelation coming to a person. But I, I would indicate this, that th- if there is something that is revealed to a person, I think it goes without saying, this would be something that is made known to the person that would otherwise be unknown to them. It's not just something that they gain by reading somebody's Facebook thread or by remembering something that that person shared uh, last week. Those types of, a revelation is something that the, the Spirit makes known to a person that they would not have otherwise known, that they wouldn't have been privy to. We don't exactly know content. It, it could be, I believe, it could be a, a phrase 
could be a word. It could be, I think, even based on what you see in Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2, it could even be an image of some sort. Uh, but there, there's content. It could even be that God lays a scripture passage upon someone's heart and gives them a burden, I believe, to share that with a specific person, maybe not even knowing why, maybe not even knowing what is going on in their life that would prompt it. But there's something that the Spirit uh, communicates. There's something that he reveals to a person. It could be that he makes the person attuned to somebody's struggle to the things that are going on in their mind, that are going on in their heart, that have gone on in their past, that are going on in their present, that are even potentially, you see examples of this even in the book of Acts, of things that will come in the future for them. Not necessarily these grand predictive things about the world ending, but it could be that God is making a person uh, attuned to something that will take place in a person's life so that as they speak to that person, he could prepare them for it that he can make them uh, know that he is aware even of what is to come before it comes. So we're not told exactly what the content of this is, but we are clearly told it's revelation from the Spirit that comes to this person. We're not told the mechanics of it either. We're not told that, hey, prophecy, uh, revelation comes to a person this way. Like this is how it happens. We, we aren't told that anywhere in the Bible, the mechanics of how works. You, I think you see in the verses we read in 29 to 32 that it could be in the context of corporate worship. It could be that as the church is gathered, as they're singing, as they're praying, as they hear scriptures read, that the Spirit would impart something, that he would make something known to a person in the congregation. So it could be spontaneous in the moment. Or if you look back at verse 26, he's talking about as they come together, as, as they come together to worship, he says that uh, each one has a hymn, a lesson, or he says a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. So he, I, I believe he's imagining that even as people come together, they might have already, even before they come, have had the Spirit make something known to them. May have had the Spirit lay something upon their heart, impress something upon their mind or their soul that they have this desire, this burden to share with the church. So it could be in the moment, it could be spontaneous, or it could be even in advance. Uh, that the Spirit is making someone attuned to something, making them aware of something. He is revealing something to them. But in verses 29 and 30 and 31, you see then that that revelation, something is made known to the person, is then to be spoken. And as it is spoken, it is what he calls prophecy. So it's a, that's why we say it's a human report of a divine revelation. There's something the Spirit makes known that is then to be reported, to be shared by the person with others, with other believers. And when we say this, we mean that the, the person should seek to faithfully, accurately relay what they believe was from the Spirit of God. And I, I want to show you a couple other texts in the New Testament that talk about this gift because they are very, very helpful to help fill out understanding of this gift and how it's to be used, what it is, what it isn't. The first one I want to point you to is the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 6. And we'll have these on the screen. But Romans 12, 6. Uh, Paul was writing about this gift of prophecy to this early church. He's actually writing about a lot of different gifts in Romans chapter 12. And it, he's, but he starts by talking about prophecy. That's the very first one that he mentions. And he says this. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So that should be an encouragement no matter what gifts we have. They're intended to be used, not just to be sat on. 
But then he starts giving these commands of if you have this gift, use it this way. If you have this gift, make sure you remember to do this as you use it. And the very first one he says is about prophecy. And he says, if prophecy, if that's a gift that you have and that you're seeking to use, he's saying to use it in proportion to your faith. And when he, we, there's a lot that we can see just in that simple statement. And I, I would say it this way, is that as if, even if someone legitimately has something that the Spirit has made known to them, has revealed to them, and even if there is intent to share it, there's going to be, in their experience of it, there's going to be varying levels of confidence that they have that this is actually from God, that this is actually from the Holy Spirit, that it's actually intended to be shared. Sometimes they may feel more on the spectrum of, I think this was just random firings of my brain or just my imagination or my own fears that, that are anticipating things. They may be on the spectrum where they think, that, I don't think that was from the Spirit. Like, I don't think that's to maybe even be shared at all. But as they have prayed, as they've thought about these things, as maybe the Spirit brings them to mind more and more, they may slide over more subjectively to an end of the spectrum where they have more faith, more confidence that this really is from God, that this really could benefit my brothers and sisters, this could benefit this specific person. And so you see in that statement that Paul says to that church about prophecy that in the the receiving of things and then even in the sharing of it, there's going to be varying levels of confidence. Uh, And so even if someone has a gift of prophecy and it is to be shared with other people or shared with the gathered church, I would say this, that they should always be delivered with humility. Like we should, if, if there's varying levels of confidence that people may have about whether to share this or whether it's from God, I, I would say that it would be wise for a person, it would be wise for any of you who think now or in the future that you maybe have the gift of prophecy, of, to not just take anything that comes to your mind and think, I've got to share that, no doubt in my mind, I have to share that with people, but to take time to pray about it. To take time to, if, it, if you don't know whether to share or not, to process it with pastors. Process it with people in your life that you uh, find to be mature, Bible-believing, gospel-based people. And process with them before you would ever share. It is wise to process it before you would share. Uh, to, to either grow in confidence, grow in faith that this is, I believe, of the Spirit. Or to, to realize maybe this is not for me to share. Maybe this is for me to just keep to myself or to fuel my own prayers for this person, or for this group. But we should always make sure that what we share corresponds with the truth that is revealed here. So I, the Spirit will never, ever, ever reveal something to you that will contradict this truth that he has spoken once for us. And so we need to, to process the things that we think subjectively may be given to us by the Spirit before we would ever share them. We're going to have these subjective levels of confidence, of faith, uh, of whether they should be shared or not. The other text I wanted to show you is from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. This is one of the other letters where Paul talks about this gift of prophecy. So 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, uh, the apostle wrote this to another church writing about prophecy. He said, do not quench the spirit. And many of us may need to hear this word today. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. And listen to this statement. This is significant. Hold fast what you get. That text is significant. I have been thinking on that text for the last numerous months. There's so much in it. But I think one of the nuggets, one of the things that we can receive from that text and hear from Paul is that even when prophecies are legitimate, 
Even when they are from the Spirit, they've been, something has been made known to a person, they're seeking to share it. They are still to be tested. They're still to be weighed. They're sti- and there is potential, even in a well-intentioned believer, even in a mature believer, even in someone who has prayed and thought and weighed about whether to share this, there is still potential that as that prophecy is coming through a fallen person, through a broken person who might let their mind run wild or might have sin wrapped up in their own heart even as they deliver it, there's still potential that there could be bad mixed with good. He says, hold fast what is good as you test these prophecies. That implies that there can be bad. That implies that there may be error, not because the Spirit, the Spirit never errs in revealing anything to anyone. But as these words could be shared through a person, there is potential for us to to misunderstand them as the receiver or to misapply them as the speaker. There's potential for those things uh, to be uh, more, to speak beyond what the Spirit has said, beyond what he has revealed. And so we're going to see, even we saw uh, in verse 31, how, or 32, excuse me, of 1 Corinthians 14, how the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. And he gives instruction to the church of Corinth about testing and weighing these things just like he did to the people in Thessalonica. We'll talk about that more a few weeks from now. Uh, But what I I want to say is that prophetic words, things, even when a person believes that something has been revealed to them by the spirit and they're spoken, uh, they're spoken in faith that this really is from God. These are not like the words of the Bible. They are not like the words of the Bible. The words that we have in this book that we've compiled that are the inspired writings of the the prophets and the apostles and the other writers of scripture, these are inerrant and infallible. There is no error mixed into those. When you read the Bible, you don't have to test it and weigh it of whether it's true. It is true. Like if, if you want to hear the voice of God for sure, don't just be waiting for prophecies to be shared with you. Don't just be waiting for God to give some fresh revelation. Open the Bible and start reading it, and you'll hear the voice of God. Like this is the word of God. We don't test it. We don't weigh it. But prophecies we do. Uh, when there's things that we share with fellow human beings as a fallen human being, we're not communicating, thus says God to you. We are not sharing things that are binding on people. We're not sharing things that if if we feel like, man, the Lord is wanting to encourage you in this way or to consider this, that is not binding on that person. That is not uh, the authoritative binding instruction of God. This is. But we we must not then conclude uh, that if, the, if prophecy is just kind of this subjective thing on the receiving end, and then even as I share it with people, they could kind of take it or leave it. They can test it and weigh it. We cannot conclude then that, well, what's the point of this? But I've heard people ask that to me. I think it can be a legitimate question, but we, we sometimes think if it's subjective on the receiving end, if it's subjective on the, the speaking in and the testing in and weighing in, then what is the point of it? Like we have the word of God right here that we can always read and can always go to. Why should we want these things? Why should we desire these things? What is the point of these prophetic words? I don't get it. My simple answer to you would be that 1 Corinthians 14.1 tells you why. Like the, the word of God that, that you want to cling to and read as the word of God tells you, desire the gift of prophecy. 
Like, want it for your church. Want it for the people that, that you live and that you walk with. Want it. But more than that, that I think if, if that's all God said to us is you should desire it, that should be enough. But he paints a picture here in these first five verses that we have read of the great good that can come through the use of this gift. The, the great benefit that this gift can have on God's people. I, I want to point that out to you, and I would call this prophecy experience. The prophecy typically has the effect, based on what Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 14, the prophecy typically has the effect of a building and encouragement and consolation. That's what he said in verse 3, right? If you look back there, he said he's talking about the person who prophesies, how they speak to people for their building, their encouragement, and consolation. You can see if you look, uh, we'll look at this more next Sunday, but if you look at verses 24 and 25 of that chapter, you can see that prophecy can even have an effect on non-Christians. It can even have an effect on unbelievers where if they come into a gathering like this and if they hear people legitimately being aware of things uh, that they would not have otherwise been aware of and speaking those things forth to encourage and build up God's people, Paul anticipates that there may even be sometimes when an unbeliever comes in to the room or into the gathering and the secrets of their heart are disclosed, where, where things are said about them, things that they thought nobody else Things that they, they thought, there's nobody but God who knows that about me. But they hear it spoken. They hear it made known. He's saying even on unbelievers, it could, prophecy could have this effect of making them fall on their face and declare God is with these people. But he can do that even more with people who are believers. That, that as these things are made known to Christians and then shared with other Christians, God can also be communicating again and again and again to our people, I am with you. Like, I see you. I know the things you're dealing with. I, I'm aware of the things that you are fearful of, the shame that you feel, the regret that you feel, the nervousness that you have for this thing, the uncertainty you have about these decisions that you're trying to make. I see you. And he can and does communicate that way through his word. But he, he is saying he can also communicate this way through the gift of prophecy, of making him, his, his presence even more personally, experientially felt with his people as the use of this gift happens. I wanted to share a few hypothetical ways, at least, that I believe that the gift of prophecy could be used to upbuild, encourage, console Christians, even in our church family. I want you to imagine that there's somebody in our church who has been uh, maybe even this very week, dealing with a lot of shame in their life. Things that they're looking back either recently in their past or they uh, have uh, been thinking about things long ago, just sins that they cannot shake. And even though they've been a Christian, even though they believe the gospel, they keep feeling this shame and guilt. And maybe even in an effort to address their own soul because they, they don't want to necessarily talk about this with other Christians, which I'm not saying is good, but they're, they're seeking to, to read scripture to themselves about this. And they, they read like from 1 John 1 that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of unrighteousness. And they're seeking to speak that to themselves, but they continue to feel this shame. And then another brother or sister, as they come to church that morning, as they come to life group, uh, has not been aware of any of this and says, I was praying for you. And for some reason, I don't know why, but like this text came to mind, 1 John 1, that I felt like God wanted me to share with you. 
but if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How would that not encourage that person to see, to know God sees my sin, he knows I'm struggling with this, and he's wanting, even through a brother or sister, to speak this to me in an even more personal way, to make me know that it is true, that he's aware of my struggle, that he's aware of the shame that I feel, and he wants to speak the word of the cross over me and the resurrection over me. Or imagine somebody in our church, maybe a young woman who is, uh, because of things that she's reading and thinking about or dealing with in her life, she's starting to feel these overwhelming sense of doubt and questioning even the existence of God. That, that she's starting to wonder about these things because she goes to Grace College, she doesn't want to talk about it, and she doesn't want to acknowledge that to people. So it's been within the privacy of her own mind. Maybe she sought to read some things, and she has maybe a sister in Christ, somebody from this church or someone at Grace who is praying for her, and the Spirit brings her to this young lady to mind and impresses upon that lady to go tell her, to go share with her, God hears your questions, and he's big enough to take them. Something like that, where, where it was something that was going on in her mind, in the privacy of her mind that is racking her with questions. And God makes her aware, not just that, that these things are true, but that he hears her and he sees her and he's aware of these questions and these doubts that she's feeling. He wants her to know it through the voice of a person, not just the voice of Scripture, though that should be sufficient and is sufficient. But he wants her to hear a very personal voice to speak to her to say, I hear your questions and I'm big enough to how would experiences like that not fuel faith, not give encouragement, give consolation to a person? You could imagine all sorts of scenarios where somebody's contemplating a big decision that they have to make. They're feeling tempted towards a certain sin. They're, they're feeling uh, overwhelmed with anxieties about money, things like this. And they, they may deal with them in the privacy of their own mind and heart, but then the Lord makes others aware of those things and then speaks encouragement to that person through that to make them know that he sees, that he's aware, that he is true, that he is with them, that the gospel is true, uh, to, to make them know experientially what they already know to be true in their soul. That is what the gift of prophecy can do. And God does not have to communicate with us that way. Like he has spoken through his word in a way that we can always re read, that we can always come to and hear his voice, but he has offered to and does reveal things even outside of the scriptures, not in the same way, but in ways that are communicating real, true things for the sake of communicating to God's people filled in love. And I think many times we try to make this like it's some supernatural, like, uh, amazing, mind-bending prediction that, that prophecy will be of some major world event, but often the way that it's used is by simple encouragements that God gives to brothers and sisters who are right around you, uh, ways that he makes you aware of the things that are going on in your life. But sometimes I believe he does uh, give unique experiences. This I was talking to Marty Machowski, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, a Sovereign Grace pastor, and I was asking him, hey, I know prophecy happens in all sorts of what may feel common ways uh, that the Spirit encourages, but what have been some of the more remarkable ones that you've seen? And he shared one with me that I wanted to share with you, just as a, a particularly powerful example of this. He was, was talking about how years and years ago he was uh, 
presiding, if you want to use that verb, over a baptism service that their church was having. And there was this uh, woman who was uh, coming to be baptized, and she was baptized, and they often would take a few minutes to pray for that person and see if there would be any prophetic things that someone may want to share to, uh, that would fuel prayer for the church for this person or be an encouragement to them. And one of the men in their church, after they had baptized her, uh, and she came out of the water, and they asked if somebody wanted to share something. This, this uh, man, he, I believe he talked with people before he shared it, uh, made sure that it was okay, but, but shared how he had this image as, as she was coming into the baptismal of all sorts of bottles, just empty bottles uh, that were all over, and felt like compelled to tell her, God can take care of the bottles. And he didn't know what that was, or, uh, but he, he had this very strong impression, uh, what he felt like was a revelation from the Spirit to share with this woman. She just started crying, and she, she started weeping, and they didn't have time to process it all publicly because they don't know what's all behind that and whatnot. But he said that he talked to her afterwards, and he said that as she was standing at the top of the steps about to come down to be baptized, that she couldn't help but think, I wish my husband could be baptized with me. Like, I wish he would come to faith. And he's an alcoholic. And like around their house, there's all these bottles, like empty ones and half-filled ones that are all over their house all the time. There are these visual reminders to her that her husband hasn't been changed yet. And she was struggling with this as she was coming down to be baptized. And this man speaking that to her makes her feel so encouraged and hopeful that God sees me. Like he knows the anxieties of my heart. But even more than that, he is powerful enough to save my husband. And even though I feel powerless to do it, God sees and God can do what I cannot. And it brought such comfort to her and confidence to her of what God could do in her life. Because that man knew nothing of her husband, didn't even know who she was. But the Spirit made him attuned to that, made him aware, and gave her great encouragement as he shared it. That is the type of things that prophecy can do. That the, the, as the Spirit makes us aware of things and then we faithfully speak it to people, he can encourage, he can console, he can build up. I'm going to end with a few pastoral comments and then I'll sing. Um, but I hope you see why Paul started this chapter this way, where he said to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy, to long for it to be operating in your church, to be longing for it to operate in our church. But I want it to hear very clearly and everyone to hear this clearly, that our desire for prophecy should never override our desire for scripture. It should never, will never, in the life of our church, uh, overtake our desire for the scripture. The gift of prophecy is remarkable. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. But prophecies are not inerrant. Prophecies are not infallible. This book is. This is unchanging. It is perfect. It is infallible. It will never, ever lead us astray. And may we never come to a place where we're so longing for this fresh revelation of God by the Spirit, that we forsake and we shy away from and don't read the perfect revelation that he's given us in this book. We're to desire prophecy, but we're not to depend on it. We're to appreciate it, but we are not to idolize it. Like God may not even give that gift. I think he will. I'm confident he will. I actually think there's people in our church who already have the gift of prophecy. But if he never gave a prophecy to us, if he never gave prophetic word, we, we would not be left wondering, I can't hear you, God. Like, I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life. He has spoken through this word. But he, in his kindness, offers even more revelation. Not the same caliber, but may we never idolize prophecy. 
May we be patient with one another. A couple weeks from now, we're going to share, as we get to the end of this chapter, more practicalities about how we're going to seek to practice this, how we will long to practice it as it's given even in our gatherings. But I would encourage us to be patient with one another as we do this because we're going to seek to learn uh, to grow uh, in the use of this gift together. Uh, we, we are not, as the elders of this church, naive, though, about the dangers that can come with prophecy. There's all sorts of ways it can go haywire. There's all sorts of ways that it can get wonky, to use a term I used a couple weeks ago. Uh, we are not naive to that. We are aware of that. There was problems with the gift of prophecy, even in Corinth. Like, even a church started by the Apostle Paul, but he longed for them not to get rid of prophecy, but to do prophecy the way the Spirit instructed them like to use it the way that God told them to, and we will strive to do that. I encourage you to, to check out some of the talks we've done uh, at meetings called Exploring the Gift of Prophecy. They're online if you'd like to, to listen to more of those. We're going to have more of those on Wednesday nights coming up, uh, even in the weeks to come. And I'd encourage you also, if you believe that you have this gift, I, like I said, I think some already in our church have this gift, but they maybe haven't known what to call it or what to do with it. I'd encourage you to talk to us as pastors. We'd love to talk with you, get to to know some of what your experiences have been like, to read the word with you about this gift, and to, to think together if that may be something that the Spirit has given to you. And if so, ways that we could help you refine that and, and use that gift in a way that builds up the body. I'm going to pray for us. I know I went a little over. Uh, I will not do that again. It was just a, a big topic. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and uh, then I'll leave you with a word of benediction. So why don't you stand as the worship team comes forward, uh, and we will pray, and then we'll sing together. Father, you, um, you are a good God. You are the giver of every good gift. And we believe from your word that the gift of prophecy is one that comes from your hand. And that it is a good gift that is intended for the good of your people. Father, I pray for those who already have that gift, I believe, among us. That you give them encouragement in the days ahead uh, as they have received that gift of grace to use it, as Paul says in Romans and that we would be of help to them as they do. I pray that you would give this gift even more. Uh, I, I long for it to be present and active in our church, uh, but to be used in ways that honor our Savior Jesus, that never undermine uh, your written word for us, but that nonetheless minister to your people. Uh, there is a building and encouragement and consolation that can come from this gift. There is experiential knowledge even of your presence that can come from the use of this gift. So we long for that. And I pray even as we sing that you be honored um, by what we express in the longings of our heart that are even sung. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Yourself with power.